So how do you answer the question, who am I? It's a question that's asked of us daily. Who are you? I mean, what, what are your likes? What are your dislikes? What are your accomplishments, your failures, your strengths, your weaknesses, your background, your history, your culture? It's a huge question. It's a question about our bodies, our histories, our relationships, our commitments, our actions, our boundaries, our future. Who are you? And maybe it's a question that we don't slow down enough to think about. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, people were constantly coming to him, asking him, what should I do? What, what do I do? And Jesus always flipped the question around and asked them, well, who are you? He would tell these, these strange stories called parables where he would invite people to find themselves within the story. Who are you? Are you the hero or the villain? Are you the good Samaritan or the careless priest? Who are you? And I think he was getting at something that, that it is always a mistake to decide what to do before you discover who you are and who you want to become. Alistair McIntyre, the, the great modern ethicist, he said in his book, After Virtue, he said this, he said, I can't tell you what you are supposed to do until I understand what story you are living in. And so really the, the question of, of who are we is a question of what story are you living in? Because our identity has everything to do with our stories. And so to, to help us understand this question and, and to begin to seek an answer, we're, we're going to look at, at the bookends of the Bible, the beginning and the end, because in the Bible, we, we find what God says about us and about our true identity. And so we're going to take a, a quick deep dive into this thing. And, you know, whenever a pastor says uh, a deep dive, that means that it's going to be uh, confusing and complicated and hard to follow. Uh, so, look, I'm, I'm going to try to do my best to keep us on track. But if you get lost along the way, uh, that's not your fault. That's my fault. So let's hang in there together. The story begins. The first bookend begins with God creating, creating everything. And everything is good. And then God decides to create something special, something that will, will bear God's own image, something created in the image of God. God creates us people, human beings. God creates two of them. In fact, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and God calls them both very very good. And it's all good until it's not. And something happens. And so, you know, the story, or at least, you know, parts of the story. Uh, there's a tree that is in the middle of this garden that is forbidden for Adam and Eve to eat from. And there's also a snake and the snake tricks them with the very first question that shows up in the Bible. This is Genesis chapter three, verse one. The serpent says to Eve and Adam's right there with her the serpent says, did God really say 
that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden. Now, they could eat from any tree except for one. But this is the serpent's first trick to try to magnify the limitations, magnify the boundaries and turn them against God. God doesn't let you do anything. God doesn't let you eat anything when really they could do everything except for this one thing. They could eat everything except for this one thing. But the serpent keeps pushing. Is God really all that great? You see, the story, it's not a story about an apple or an orange or, or a pomegranate, whatever it is. It's, it's not a story of, of whether this happened on the literal eighth day of creation. It's not a story about whether Adam and Eve were, were little, literal historical people. But what this story is about is a, it's a story about choices and a choice of whose voice we will listen to. It's about a decision on who to trust. And if we can trust ourselves, can we make meaning of this world apart from God? And so Adam and Eve, they decide that, that they could maybe have greater clarity of this world apart from God. They eat the fruit of the tree that they were supposed to stay away from. Their eyes are opened and they felt shame for the first Time, They felt a negative feeling and the most powerful one, shame. They realized that they were naked, exposed. And so they ran and hid. And then look at what happens in verse eight. It says during the day's cool evening breeze, they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And they hear for the first time the question that has reverberated throughout the corridors of human history, where are you? It's the first question that God asks of us. The first question that God asks in the Bible, where are you? And it's not a question about location. God, God has not lost them and God's doing a head count. There's, there's only two of them. Where are you? It's not a question of location. It's a question of relational disposition. God is asking where, where are your hearts at? Where, where are you? Because something has gone wrong. You see, whenever God asks a question throughout a scripture, it's not so that God can gain information. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. God asked the question to make them think. And so imagine it this way. A pizza delivery guy is, is coming to your house to deliver your dinner to you. And he calls you along the way to let you know that, that he's become lost. And so your first question on the phone with him is going to be, where are you? Can you tell me where you are? Because if he can tell you where he is, then you can tell him how to get to you. You've got to know where you are before you can receive directions on where you need to be. And perhaps, perhaps the reason 
why we feel like we cannot be helped is because we cannot, or, or we are unwilling to answer that question. Where am I? But until we answer that question, there, there is no chance of us being found unless of course God shows up and says, here I am. So God's first question, where are you? Is the same question that God asks of all of us. And when God asks this question, I, I think it, it signifies to us two things about our identity and our relationship with God. It, it reveals two things to us. The first is that Adam, Eve, Jason, you're lost. Where are you? It's like a parent calling out to a missing child. Where are you? You're lost. And the second thing that this signifies for us is that God is looking. God is searching. God says, I I've come to find you. I, I haven't given up on you. I, I know what happened. And yet I'm still here seeking after you. Where are you? And so they peek their heads out from behind the bushes and they say, no, we're, we're all right. Every, everything's okay. But there is something that you should know. We're naked. Of course, God knew that they were naked. God created them naked and they didn't think anything of it. And, and literally, in fact, they were unaware and unashamed, but this triggers something for God. And so God asks a second question. This is verse 11. God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat? Who told you that you were naked? Or if I could just have some liberties here, maybe another way that we could put this question is who, who labeled you? Who, who showed you this? Who shifted your identity? What happened to you that caused you to see yourself differently? Who labeled you? You see, this is such an important question that God asked because the only label that God had given them when they were created was good. Adam, good. Eve, good. That's it. But now something has happened to them. And now goodness is not the only label that they have. And they begin to see themselves a little bit differently. Now they're, they're now trying to cover up their goodness. They take fig leaves to cover themselves up. They hide from each other. They hide from God because another label was attached to them other than the original one of good. And isn't it the same for us? Isn't it the same for you that we begin hearing that word from God? You are good. And hopefully you've, you've heard that same label from people like your parents and your family and some of those who have spoken that deep and beautiful truth into your life. You are good. But then as we begin to experience life, and we make our own mistakes. We hurt others and other people hurt us. All these other labels begin to get attached to us. 
And out of shame, we try to cover up who we really are. Really, we try to cover up our goodness. And we become afraid of being exposed because if we're exposed, then we might be rejected. And so I love what Frederick Buechner writes as, as he says this. He says, what we hunger for, perhaps more than anything else, is to be known in our human fullness. And yet, that is often just what we also fear more than anything else. It is important to tell, at least from time to time, the secret of who we truly and fully are. Because otherwise, we will run the risk of losing track of who we truly and fully are. And little by little, come to accept instead the highly edited version, which we put forth in hope that the world will find it more acceptable than the real thing. And so after God asked that first question, where are you? I'm here to find you. God asked that next question. Who told you that you were naked? Who labeled you? And do you know who gets to label something? I've shared this before, but I think it's, it's just so important and so powerful that there are only three people who get to label something. The first person is the maker, the manufacturer of, of the product. They get to label something. That's why Apple gets to put their little Apple logo on all their uh, phones and computers. It's why Nike gets to put their little swoosh check on all of their shoes. The manufacturer of the product gets to label it. The second person that gets to label something is, is the owner. That if you own it, then you are able to label it. And so my kids are getting ready for school and my oldest son is scribbling his name on top of his notebooks because it's his and all the contents within it are his. He owns it. He gets to label it. And then the third person that gets to label something, and this is a little bit different. The third person that gets to label something is the person who redeems it. Someone who, who buys it from someone else, purchases it, brings it back from someone else. They get to label it. And so I think of all my books that I have uh, bought used from Amazon and there's somebody else's name in those front covers. And what I do is I scratch that out and I put my stamp on it because now it is mine. I've redeemed it and called it my own. It belongs to me. That's it. Those are the only three people who get to label something, the maker, the owner, or the redeemer. And so to translate this in, into Christianese, in case I lost you somewhere along the way, that means that that's God, that's you, or that's God. That's it. Those are the only people who get to label you, who get to shape and tell you the truth of your identity. And so that question from Genesis three is a question from our maker. Where are you? I've been looking for you. Who, who told you about yourself? You've become lost. And God's desire ever since has been to call us his again to redeem us, to restore us, and to give us that original label, good. But what happened is that we have kept wandering off. 
We, we have kept choosing our own way and going further and further away from God. All the while, while God has been calling out to us, where are you? And the further and further away that we have gone from God, the less we are able to hear that voice until we've become so far away that we are the ones that begin to ask the question. That now we begin to ask the question to God, God, where are you? Where are you, God? That we've drifted so far away that we can no longer hear God calling out to us. Instead, we call out, where is God? And that question again, it's not a question of location. It's a question of relational disposition that I feel so distant that God seems so far off, so aloof, so unconcerned, so uncaring Something's not right. And you know, Jesus, Jesus asked that same question in his darkest hour, his darkest hour on the cross. And Jesus asked that same question when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or to put it another way, my God, my God, where are you? That in that moment, he explored the depths of that agonizing question for us. And then three days later, rose from the grave to give us the answer. Here I am. You've been wondering, where is God? Here I am. And death, the greatest barrier between us and God is a barrier. No more. Here I am. And that is always, that is always God's answer to our question. Where are you? God, where are you? Here I am. And so we see at the other bookend of the story of the Bible, we see God's final answer to that first question, where are you? And so this is Revelation chapter 21, where it says this. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, listen to this. Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. Where are you? I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm right where you are. This is where you belong. This is where I belong. We belong here together. This will be my dwelling place. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's all gone. That's all passed away. All that hurt, all that pain, all those labels that have stuck to you. That's passed away. They've lost their stickiness now. And they've fallen off. Then one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making all things new. 
not all new things, but God is taking what was and making it new again. God is restoring, resetting, renaming it. It is a factory reset. Now I'm bringing it back to new. I'm bringing it back to good. He also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, all is done. All is finished. All is accomplished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will freely give water from the life giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be my, I will be their God and they will be my sons and my daughters. So God's first question when everything started to go wrong was, where are you? And God's final statement, when everything is made right is here. I am reclaimed, renewed, renamed sons, daughters, new, good. And in that, between that first question and that final statement, that's where we find our identity that we, we were lost. Where are you? But then we were found here. I am. And right between the bookends is where we find this man, Jesus asking both of those questions from God and from us, where are you? And he's giving the response. Here I am. Where are you? Here I am. Come follow me. My God, my God, where are you? Here I am doing something new. You see, in Jesus, we, we can find our true identity because he was everything that Adam and Eve were supposed to have been. He is everything that, that we can become, that if we call on the name of Jesus, that our life now is in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. That, that our life, our identity is wrapped up in Christ, that that is our identity, that is who we are, and that is good. And not only is it good, but we are good. A new creation. The old has passed away. All those old labels have lost their stickiness and fallen to the ground. And there is no longer the fear of exposure that comes with rejection. Instead, instead, there is exposure only with the promise of forgiveness and acceptance. You don't have to keep hiding. You don't have to keep drifting further and further away. You don't have to keep editing. You don't have to keep asking, where are you him? Who am I? The answer is here. Jesus says, here I am. And you are my son. You are my daughter. You are my beloved child. And you are good. And you are beautiful. And you are loved. And today God is asking that same question of all of us. 
Where are you? Where, where are you? A question of relational disposition. And so if you've been hiding, if you've had this fear of rejection, if there's been any shame, if you've been asking God, where are you? Jesus gives the answer. Here I am. And he's offering us a reset. And through his death, he took on the virus of sin. He deleted death and he canceled the grave that there is new life in Jesus, that we can be made new again, restored, restored by him. So Jesus is asking, where are you? So God, for all of us, may we hear that question today. You calling out to us in our hiding places, in our secret places. God, may we hear your voice. Where are you? Lord, for whatever shame, whatever guilt, what, whatever it is that, that we have in our lives that, that make us go into those hiding places. Lord, call us out to step out in the promise of your forgiveness and your acceptance that you can restore us, reset us, rename us, restore us, call us new, call us good. And God, for, for any of us who have yet to reach out, who, who have yet to answer that call from you beckoning to us, where are you? God, I pray that today that we would no longer be lost, but that you would come and find us speaking into the depths of our hearts. Here I am. Here I am. Come and receive new life. That's a prayer for all of us today, God. Here we are. Come. Reset us. Make us new. Make us good through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.